So the last couple of weeks, we talked a little bit about, uh, we actually had a message series called Break the Cycle, and we talked a little bit about, uh, out of the book of Numbers, how the, the children of Israel, you know, how they bought the lie that they couldn't enter into the promised land because the giants in the area and the territory were too great for them to overcome. And that ultimately ended up costing them 40 years in the desert, in the wilderness, of circling around and around until they were able to move into the promised land 40 years later, a whole nother generation of people. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of move forward a little bit in that story into Joshua chapter 5. And we're going to pick up with a message this morning about when the children of Israel actually start to move into the promised land, start to move into the chosen territory that God has given them under the leadership of Joshua. So what we're doing is we're actually jumping past the 40 years in the wilderness. So we're just skipping right over the, the boring part, right, the bad part. Nobody wants to be in the wilderness for 40 years. But no... Um, what I want to do is I want to share a message with you a little bit about how and see the pattern that we can pick up from of how God equips us and what he calls us into in order to set forth our battle plans for walking out our destiny and our purpose. Because much like the children of Israel had a purpose and a destiny, a chosen land, promised land to walk into in order to get into that area and occupy it, or as the Bible says, is to possess it, they had to fight off and push out enemies that were inhabiting that area that was rightfully theirs by God. And much like that in our own lives, God has a purpose, he has a plan a destiny for all of his children that he's created to do great things in this world. But in order for us to walk in our purpose and in our destiny, we have to move the enemy out of areas and out of territories. We have to fight him out and push him out of area and territory that God intends for us to occupy. And as we see Joshua leading the children of Israel here, in chapter 5, we're going to start out reading verses 1 through 10. They've just crossed the Jordan River. They're finished with the 40 years in the wilderness. They've just crossed the Jordan River, and now they're ready to march on into all of the areas in the promised land that are occupied by the enemies, and this is where we're going to start in our story. Verse 1, chapter 5. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because the children of Israel. So Israel's coming. God's parted the Jordan River. Here he's parted another river now so that the children of Israel can move forward into their destiny. The people who are occupying the land heard that they're coming and they're terrified. Remember last week how Israel was terrified of the people in the land? The people in the land are terrified of Israel because they heard they're coming and they heard about how God parted the Red Sea and delivered them from Egypt. Right? So anyway, verse 2, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. Whew, that sounds painful. So Joshua <laughs> made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of, at the hill of their foreskins. Time out. Just for a second. <laughs> Can you imagine... Moses comes, or Joshua comes out, hey everybody, I got a big announcement today, we're getting ready to move into the promised land, you're going to love this, oh by the way, 
I'm going to need all the dudes in the place to line up over here. We're sharpening our blades. We're going to do a little operation on you. Oh, wow, that sounds great. Okay. So, and then this is... And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt, who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. So if you remember last week, we talked about this, that the children who were uh, of Israel, who were doubting that God could give them the promised land, who believed the lies of the enemy, God said that they would not enter the promised land. All the people 20 years and over died in the wilderness, so it's the next generation coming up that's actually going to go into the promised land to fight off the enemy and they're the ones that get their you know what cut off right so anyway this is the uh, for all the people who came out had been circumcised but all the people who were born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised for the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice, the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons, whom he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. I'm going to read that verse again in verse 8. So they stayed in their places in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of this place is called Gilgal to this day. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight. On the, on the plains of Jericho. So this is fascinating to me. They're getting ready to go in and literally wage war on a number of enemies who are occupying their chosen area, their chosen territory. And it's interesting whenever we're moving into new places that sometimes God will have us do things that seem unusual or seem a little bit odd. Right? They're not what we would think are the necessary plans to prepare us for moving into that next place of our calling. They're getting ready to go have war, and what God is commanding them to do is to, is to take time out to stop and circumcise all of the males in, in the camp that haven't been circumcised, give them time to heal and then they also spend time celebrating and keeping the Passover on the 14th day of the month. So they're doing all of these things before they actually go in and start to do battle. Now, I, I don't know if you're like me, but this is where my mind goes. Like, why in the world would that be what you stop to do? Like, you just crossed the Jordan. You've got some steam going. You need to get in there and you need to start slaying those suckers, you know? Why are you taking time out? to cut foreskins and heal up and wait in the camp, and then you celebrate the Passover. It's like all this like delay, right? But listen, guys, there's a very important lesson that we need to take from this. First of all, circumcision in the Old Covenant, in the, in the Old Testament, 
was a part of being obedient to God. It was part of his covenant with his chosen people, right? Now, we know Jesus fulfilled the covenant. There's a new covenant now. But the point is, is they were being obedient to what God had said to do. They knew that if they were going to walk in victory and they were going to be who they were chose to be, that they had to obey the voice of the Lord. And if they were to go in uncircumcised, they would have essentially been trying to take steps in their destiny out of a place of obedience, which not have been a place where God would have blessed and rewarded their efforts, right? So they said, no, we're going to be obedient. We're going to listen to what God's telling us to do, and we're going to obey this, even if it seems strange, if it seems odd, and we're ready to go in and take our promised land. We're going to take some time here in the desert. We're going to circumcise everybody that needs to be circumcised, and we're going to give them time to heal so they're ready for battle. Oh, and by the way, we're also going to celebrate Passover while we're here. They threw a party. They had a big good time celebrating the Passover, right? You know what they were doing in the Passover meal is where they're praising and, and worshiping God for how he delivered them out of Egypt, how he brought the plagues and delivered them out of Egypt and brought them across the Red Sea. So what are they doing? They're being obedient to the word of the Lord. And they're worshiping and praising God for the good things that they've seen him do already in their life. Get this, before they take the step that in our mind probably seems like the reasonable next step to go in, draw your sword, and get to work. They're taking time to obey the voice of the Lord and worship and praise God for all the great things that he's already done before they go into battle and step into the next phase in their destiny. So what are some things that we can learn and take away from this, right? Because right after this is whenever they go and they arrive at Jericho. Everybody knows the story of Jericho, right? So they get to Jericho, and they're standing on the edge of the city. They've already went through these steps of being obedient and then worshiping and praising God. And now listen to this. This is in chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. So they had shut the city down. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, you, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all of the people shall shout with a great shout, and then the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, every man straight before him. Now, again, the strange strategy continues. The strange strategy to go in, to do battle, to drive the enemy out of the land that is theirs continues. You have people here that are men of war. They are ready to do battle. They know how to wield a sword. They're not foreigners to, be able, to being able to, to go in and know how to defeat an enemy. Their ancestors have done it for generations, all right? They're warriors. They're men of war. But what are they asked to do? 
they're asked to march around the city. Now, we know this story, so it, it's easy for us to like sort of overlook how strange this actually would have seemed at the time. March around the entire city one time while the priests are going ahead and they're, they're, they're blowing these trumpets of ram horns. Do that once a day for six days, and then on the seventh day, do it seven times, and at the end of the seventh time, when the trumpets and the ram's horns blow, then I want everybody to, to yell and scream and give out a shout, and then the walls are going to start coming down. Seems like a very strange tactic, especially for the fact you got to realize that Jericho, this was a major defense system, a major fortress. I mean, they had to be thinking like, how in the world, we've got we've to figure out a way to beat this, these guys and to get in here because the walls, get this, there were actually two walls around the city of Jericho. And Jericho was actually up on a hill. So it was like scaling this terrain almost straight up the side of this cliff. And then you get to the walls, and there's two of them. The first wall was six foot thick, and the second wall was 12 foot thick. So these are massive walls. These are walls that, by all seeming odds, are impossible for them to be able to penetrate and for them to be able to break down. So they've got to be thinking, we're going to do battle, we've got to figure out how to get to war, we've got to figure out how to get in there. And what God says, what God gives the command, he says, I want you to march around the city one time a day for six days, and then on the seventh day, I want you to do that seven times, and then I want you to let out a loud scream and a loud shout. Now, this is what's particularly interesting. The trumpets that they used to blow when they were walking around the city were actually these trumpets of ram's horns that were used as a celebration. They would blow these horns before they would celebrate their ceremonies. It was an expression of jubilee. It was an expression of worship and praise to God for who he was and who he had created the people to be. So what is the strategy here? The strategy for war is actually a strategy of praise and worship. It's actually a strategy of crying out and, and, and professing how awesome and how amazing God is and, and an act of praise before they're actually going in to do the full-scale battle. There's a time of praise, there's a time of shouting and rejoicing for who God is. This long blast at the end, this long shout that they gave, you got to realize this wasn't just like, okay, everybody on three, yell. This was actually a word that describes an eruption, something that had been building and brewing from the inside that had built up and literally could not be contained or held back. And it erupted and bursted forth and bursted out. It was a shout of victory that was used in battle, and it was a shout of rejoicing that only would come whenever it was directed and aimed at God himself for how good and how powerful it was. It was impossible to do this for any other reason than when our affections are aimed at God. So he says, I want you to praise, I want you to yell, I want you to scream, I want you to go around the city and just worship and praise me for seven days, and then I'll bring the walls down. Now, I'm not sure, I wasn't there, I'd be real curious to find out how many people were like, whoa, okay, Joshua has lost his nut, yeah, I don't know. he's off his rocker here, but, but yet... This is what God did. He gave them an, a strange battle plan that was centered around praise and it was centered around worship. And you know what I think? I think this was really, really critical because this was the first city, the first area that Israel actually was walking into to take over once they came out of the desert. 
And anytime there's a first, there's a setting of first, you'll see that a lot of times God will set up a pattern or he establish something that is a very important lesson that we are intended to learn. And I know that what God was trying to show these people is he was trying to show them, listen, I'm going to lead you into area. I'm going to lead you into territory where you're going to do battle, where you're going to slay the enemy, where you're going to push him out of area and territory that you're intended to occupy as part of your destiny. But you need to remember not to avoid or forget or to uh, uh, not go through the process of praising and worshiping me along the way. Don't get so busy with the busy work, with the tactics and all the things you're going to do, that you end up forgetting what this is really all about and who's the source behind everything that you're getting ready to walk into. He was setting up a pattern. He was saying, listen, you're going to do battle in a lot of different places in a lot of different cities, but you're going to have to praise me. You're going to have to worship me. You're going to have to just bask in my goodness and who I am. Don't get moving on so quickly that you end up denying or forgetting to do the very things which are the critical things, which is praising and worshiping God along the way. And guys, what we're trying, what I'm trying to say is that there is something significantly powerful for us in our lives to become who we are created by God to be. There is something directly uh, linked to what our personal life of praise and worship looks like to us having breakthroughs again, again, and again in our lives as we move forward. Because our praises and our worship not some mighty thing that we go do in our strength, but it's our praises and our worship that bring walls down, that are meant to come down so that we can move into new areas in our destiny that God has for us. Amen? Praise was their battle plan. Praise also built up for six days. It built up for six days and then on the seventh day, it is when it erupted and whenever the walls came falling down. And then the city is taken and the destiny is advanced. So going around the city six days, praising God, and then on the seventh day, it's, it's like it was building and building and building. And it came to this point where it was like this eruption that just exploded out of them and burst forth. And then that's whenever we see God bring these mighty walls down that were incapable of coming down by human hands. You know, we have a cast iron skillet. Anybody use cast iron? Right? It's like the best thing to cook with. And, and the key with cast iron is what? You got to let stuff like cook in for a while. It's got to season that. Everybody that does, he's like, yeah, that's the best. You got to let that season the cast iron. It's like that flavor gets like baked in there from using it again and again and again, and it just like gets better and better and better over time. It's seasons. So they're walking around the city six days. I think that what was happening is that their level of praising God, their level of worshiping Him was just building and building and building. It was literally like baking in guys. They were, you know, if you go do something, you say, hey, run out and do this once and then come back. It's easy to forget a thing if you just do it that way, isn't it? You're like, oh, okay, I did that, and then you move on. But if I tell you to go out and do something for the next seven days, 
over and over and over again, chances are it's going to set in for you a whole lot more than if I just had you run out and do it one day and then that was the end of that. And what God's saying, he's like, he could have said walk around the city one day. He could have said walk around it three days. He said six days, and on the seventh day is whenever it's going to erupt forth. It's going to build. It's going to get baked in you. It's going to season in you. And I'm going to teach you a strategy for battle, for doing war with your enemies that doesn't necessarily involve you wielding a sword all the time, but that you're praising and worshiping me, who is the source of your strength along the way. And if you'll constantly have your affections and your desires aimed at me, then I will come and I will show up and I will drive the enemies out of the area for you. And that's how it is in our lives, guys, is we're not supposed to be here in church on Sunday, one day a week, praising God for how good he is, and then go about the rest of the week completely disconnected from a place of praise and worship. We're created to worship God all the time for how good and how great he is. And as we go through the week, I find this particularly interesting, that there's six days of marching around on the seventh day it erupted, and we have six days in our work week, and then we have have the seventh day, which is our Sabbath, which traditionally is when we come together corporately to praise and worship God. And so it's like we praise and worship him every day as we go about our lives. But then we come together corporately. We join with the body and we begin to praise and worship God. And it's like things just break through to a whole nother level. And we reach a place with God that we're just going there together in this massive way. I've seen walls come down for people in praise and worship. I've seen chains get broken off of people simply by just diving into worship in a deeper place than they've ever been because they're a part of a corporate environment, a body of people that are praising God fully abandoned with their whole heart. And it's like the, the tide just raises and things just erupt and break forth. Do you remember when Paul and Silas were in prison and the chains got broken off and the doors opened of the prison. Do you remember what it said that they were doing? They were singing hymns to God. They were praying and singing hymns to God. It's consistent through the whole Bible, guys. When we're praying and worshiping God, not in specific moments because we think, oh, that's what we need to do right now, but as a consistent way of living our lives, each and every day, where we're, our affections are aimed towards him for how good and how wonderful he is and how great he, the great and mighty things that he's done for us, as we live each day praising and worshiping him, then as we come to these points where it's like the praise and the worship is baked in and then things just erupt out of us in our lives when we come to places where enemies are threatening to keep us from moving forward and then we just erupt with praise, with shouts of victory, that have been building in us that are just erupting out of us and it's like God just begins to bring walls down in front of us and we go in and take the rest of the city. I think it's amazing and, and I want to share this with you as we start to wrap this up. I have found that when we think about, okay, praise and worship, you know, like every day, like what how does that look? Or, okay, I, I get it, but I, how do I do that? You know, am, am I supposed to, like, take an hour out of every day and, and just sit there and pray and worship God? Am I supposed to listen to worship music while I'm driving? Like, what does that mean? Let me tell you what I think is a huge part of what I've learned over the years of just staying in a place of praising God. It's an attitude of thankfulness. When I am reflecting on how thankful I am 
for all of the things that God has done for me in my life, when I am reflecting on how thankful I am for how good and how awesome he is, how undeserving I am of his love, but how powerful and unconditional it is. When I am thankful, it is impossible to stay in a place of thankfulness for a very long period of time and not end up erupting with praise. Isn't that true? And many times what we'll do is we'll move on about our days and we'll get busy with the busy work. We'll get busy with the tasks at hand and we won't really reflect. We won't really stop and be thankful along the way for all the things that God has already shown, shown us and done for us. And we'll just move on with the day. And then it's like we don't give that time to get baked in. And if we would do that, then it's like that thankfulness would just build and build and build. And there would be an eruption of praise that would just be happening in our lives every single day. This is a true story. This is funny. But like when I first started going to church and I got saved and I love Jesus, but I got to tell you, I thought that, you know, the worship of raising hands and I was like, man, that is weird. And I ain't never going to do that. Like, I mean, I'm serious. You can ask Katie. And then when she said that the service that we were going to at the time was like two hours because praise and worship was like 45 minutes. I'm like, good Lord, are you kidding me? What is going on here? I'm used to a 55 minute Catholic mass and you're out of there, you know? I was, uh, yeah, I went to, yeah. Uh, but, but over the years, as I, I've learned that reflecting on how thankful I am and just realizing everything that God has done, everything that he's doing, and just stepping back and taking time to be thankful and celebrate all of that along the way. There are constant moments where my spirit just leaps and erupts, and I'm just filled with praise for God. I mean, I shout when I'm in the shower. I sing. I walk around my house and my property, and I pray out loud. I'm, I'm not kidding. Because, and I would have never thought I would be one of those guys. I'm just being honest. I just thought, well, that's just kind of weird. You know, that to each his own. But literally, I've been changed because of what's been going on inside of me and the level of thankfulness that I, the amount of time I spend reflecting on how thankful I am for God. It's like it's just this building and praise is just erupting and bursting forth on a constant basis. And I have seen God time and time again over these last 15 years that I've walked with him bring down walls that I I could have never brought down on my own. He's helped us move in and occupy areas that it would have been impossible for us to occupy. And listen, you have a purpose and a destiny just the same as each and every person in this room. And God is calling you to a place of saying, listen, I'm going to call you into great things, but I don't want you to just march straight in and just go right into the city and miss and forget about taking the time to worship, to praise, and to celebrate all of the goodness and the thankfulness that you have for what I I've already done and who I am to you because if you have me then you have everything that you need and that's what we have to keep in mind it's him that we need not the thing that he has for us 
right? It, it, it's by seeking God and, and just for who he is and that closeness and being thankful for him that ultimately everything he has for us begins to open up. We don't say, oh, I want this and I want that and try to move into the better job, move into the better relationship, move into the next thing and get all focused on this and the task in hand and try to do, do, do. And oh yeah, by the way, God, I'm, I'm going to go to church on Sunday. You know, you've got to be in that state of praise and thankfulness all the time for who he is. And then he's going to just be bringing down walls and pushing the enemy out and giving you authority and victory over everything that the enemy is trying to keep you from in your life. We just have to stay in a place of praise. And it's easy to stay in a place of praise if we're consistently thankful for everything that we recognize God has done and is doing in our life. If we aren't people that are erupting with praise, if you don't find yourself saying, praise God every now and then, God, you're good. Hallelujah. I never thought I would be a hallelujah guy either, but it turns out I am. Just saying, if you don't, uh, let me just ask you to ask yourself the question. If, if you don't do that, if you don't erupt in some way, I'm not saying you do it like me, but we're, you know what I mean. There's an eruption out of you that comes out in the form of praise because praise and worship is the overflow of joy in our spirit for how great God is. And if you're not erupting in some way, some form consistently, then I would just ask you, how much time do you really reflect on how thankful you are and how good God is? Do you move on real quickly? Do you think, oh, that's great, God is good, and then you move on real fast? See, sometimes I gotta put the brakes on. I gotta say, whoa, Matt's wanting to go a little faster than what Matt needs to. Matt needs to step back and he needs to meditate on that a little bit longer. Matt needs to think more about how thankful he is for what God has done in his life. For what, you know, I, every breath I take is, a, is something that I'm thankful for. I look at my babies and my six children and I think of how amazing it is that I have six healthy babies, you know, and that we're raising them up to be game changers. I see my beautiful wife and how amazing that she is and how much she takes care of me. I see that God's given us a home. I see that he's growing our, ch you know, what I'm, I mean, you shouldn't have to look very far either. You shouldn't have to. God is so good. Every person here had, has abundance of reasons to step back and be thankful for how great God is in your life. It's just how much time are we spending being aware and reflecting on that ourselves. Last scripture I want to read to you, and then you can stand your feet. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That word rejoice means, it, it, it's an eruption, it's a shout of joy and of praise. But it comes from having an awareness of the grace of God in your life, delighting in that, and experiencing that every day. So what it means, if you study that in the Greek, what it means is that it's impossible, guys, it's impossible to have an awareness of the grace of God in your life, to experience it, and then delight in that, and not be filled with a life of praise. A life of thankfulness and a life of awareness of, of the great things that God has done for us and that he's doing in our lives and just who he is to us. If we're consistently in that place, then we will be a person where praise will be consistently coming off of our lips because it's consistently bubbling up and spilling out of us.
And when we praise and we worship, that shout, that bursting forth, that something's coming up from the inside and breaking out, that's the kind of shout that these people gave when the walls came down. I lied. I got one more verse for you. We got to read the end of that. Verse 15 in Joshua chapter 6. It came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only, they marched around the city seven times, and the seventh time, it happened. Everybody say, it happened. When the priests blew the trumpets, and Joshua said to the people, shout for the joy, or for the Lord has given you the city. He's saying shout. He's saying rejoice. He's saying erupt, explode, burst forth from everything that's been building inside of you for the last six days. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are in her house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. But all the gold and silver and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. And the people went up into the city every man straight before him, and they took the city. Stand to your feet with me today. I would be willing to bet that almost every person in here would say there's walls that have maybe been standing in front of you for too long. Walls that you thought should have come down a long time ago. Walls that you are trying to figure out how you're going to scale, how you're going to penetrate, how you're going to push forward and move through. Let me just ask you a question. What does your personal life of praise and worship look like? What does it look like? Because I believe with everything in me that we see a pattern here that God shows us that if we will consistently take the time and recognize what the priorities are, the setting of first of praising God and worshiping Him for how awesome He is, God will consistently bring walls down in our life. He doesn't intend for those walls to stay up. He never intended for one second for the city of Jericho to be a threat to them. He intended to bring those walls down. He just wanted to do it after seven days of yelling and shouting and praising Him. Hallelujah. Praise God. In Jesus' name, Lord, I ask you right now that you would just move in this place today on each and every person here. As people are opening their hearts to you, God, come and tug at them. Pull at them, Lord. Draw them near to you. If anyone here has never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you today. Ask God to come into your heart. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. Ask Him to make you into who He's created you to be. He has a great and mighty plan for your life. You can't do it on your own. The enemy is a formidable foe. He will fight you at every corner to keep you from your God-given destiny. You need a supernatural power, a Holy Spirit-filled life to become all that God has created you to be. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart today, I want to encourage you. Ask Him to forgive you and come and live inside you today and make you into who he's created you to be. In Jesus' name, amen.